0: Even a simple feature that often looks benign on the outside, if not implemented correctly, mm-hmm. can have pretty major security consequences. How would you encourage people to start looking at attack surface management, even if their team is really small? We often realize that organizations buy a lot of technology to try and protect themselves, but most of the time they don't configure it correctly. Once we got in, We actually saw files that APTs were putting on the server and getting ready to execute. Who says tech can't be human?
1: What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to the show.
2: Glad to be back again. We are here at RSA 2023. Stronger together Mm -hmm. and we're stronger because we have a great guest this morning. We have Nabil Hanan, field CISO at NetSpy. Also podcast host, just like us. Yeah. Host of the Agent of Influence podcast. Lots of good stuff, lots of good content. But most importantly,
1: welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited awesome awesome we were just talking before the podcast and you were talking about golf and how you use golf as that classic like meet and greet for potential clients and all that stuff i've always heard of people doing business on the golf course but i never knew exactly how it goes down how does that work so golf
0: i find to be a great equalizer yeah it's one of those sports where Everyone is bad. No matter how good you are, you can have a bad day. Right. And someone who's really bad can have a really good day and you just have fun on the course. Mm-hmm. And because of that reason, I find that people often let their guard down because you're just having fun. You know, right. No one's really competing. I mean, even the pros mess up, right? You see the pros on the PGA Tour shanking the ball yeah. in the water and you think, okay, that's their day job and that's all they do <laughs> all every they single do. day and they mess up. Right. It's okay for me to mess up as long as you're having fun uh, with people who have good attitude yeah. and, um, you know, it's less about doing business for me, but more about building that relationship. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. It's rare that you can get undivided, like four to five hours attention from someone right. where you can talk about anything. And usually it's when you're talking about their family, usually you're talking about how work is going, you're talking about house travel. And, uh, that's what actually makes golf such a great social game. And over the pandemic, it worked out really well because, um, a lot of people did not want to be indoors, but mm-hmm. they're more than willing to meet outdoors. Right. And golf was
2: a great way to do that. The second best way, I think, is being at a conference, right? Hey. You're here for at least two, three, sometimes even four days. And you're you know talking to a lot of people You know, here, podcasts, at the expo floor all over. But what would you say is like that one thing about RSA that makes it so special for you?
0: I think the biggest thing about RSA is that you get people coming from all over the country and also internationally. And there are a lot of people who are very hard to meet with when they're not traveling, when they're in their home turf. They have family commitments and other things that usually take up a lot of their time. Right. So when everybody is traveling and everybody's in for a common event, you often realize that you have more time, you have more social activity and you have the ability to really meet face to face and talk to people, right. which is the part I love. You know, Zoom and virtual meetings are great. Right. But just the bandwidth of information exchange mm-hmm. and the connections you make in person, there's no true replacement
1: for that today. For sure. Is that something you always had like growing up or is that something you've had to develop over time? You know, I I get asked that question a lot. Yeah. And I have
0: to give credit to my parents. Both my parents are diplomats and they're Mm. in the foreign service for working for the Bangladeshi government. Wow. So growing up, I got to observe them, move country to country and really quickly have to adapt and build connections with people. there. Wow. And given their background in diplomacy. I often observed how they build connections very quickly. Yeah. And, you know, as much as I hate to say it because I tell them that I would never want to be in the Foreign Service or never go into diplomacy myself. Yeah. I feel like I've picked up naturally a lot of their skills Mm. and that's actually paying dividends to me today.
1: What's what's one skill that you would say, like, this was like the the golden nugget that I learned from my parents?
0: I think the the thing about them uh, and it's also a philosophy I I try to make sure that i'm expressing to everybody is just being genuine Mm -hmm. when you meet people right you know any it's people can often tell when you're meeting someone and being fake or you're trying to represent a persona that's not natural to you right it comes across pretty quickly Mm -hmm. but if you can genuinely be yourself when you're interacting with somebody and also take a genuine interest in the other person that you're interacting with that makes a huge difference so Often people say, hey, you travel so much. Does that get tiring? From my perspective, it doesn't get tiring to me because I, the people I'm meeting with, clients, prospects, colleagues, I treat them like I would treat my friends. Right. right? So it feels like I'm just go traveling
2: to go visit my friends. Love it. So we got to talk about that. You were just before we hit record, you're talking about how much travel that you actually do. And I'm a little shocked. So one one city, two cities per week. I would love to hear a little bit about like what goes into the field CISO role. You hear it a lot, but what has been your experience with it?
0: So as a field CISO, it's my responsibility to work with some of our most strategic customers and help them build and evolve their cyber strategy. Mm -hmm. And as you can imagine, to do that with some of the biggest organizations that we work with, we work with some of the largest banks globally. Mm -hmm. We work with some of the largest healthcare providers. We work with some of the biggest technology companies that are building high-tech solutions and software and hardware. They are everywhere.
1: They have offices
0: everywhere. Their people are everywhere. So in order to be able to meet with them, I have to travel. And as I mentioned earlier, I prefer the in-person connection, in-person relationship building, and also just getting to see how they do business, how their lives work. Mm-hmm. And to be able to do that, you have to go meet them face to face, for
1: sure. Yeah. When we got into the field, it was just infosec. I'm probably was the same when you got into the field, just infosec, cybersecurity. But now we've got these buckets, right, that are developing. You can look at Gartner, you can look at whatever you want, but it's getting deep and you're having to specialize. What are the categories in cybersecurity that get you excited today? So, one of the biggest and one of the newer spaces that's
0: getting a lot of attraction is the attack surface management space. Right. Mm-hmm. For sure. So, you know, organizations, I believe, inherently understand that they have to understand what their perimeter looks like from an internet-facing asset perspective. But the challenge you have today versus what you had maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago is your assets are changing rapidly. Mm -hmm. With cloud adoption, your ecosystem could look one shape today and a different shape tomorrow. And not only that, you could be exposing something very bad today versus something a little less bad the next day. Yeah. Having the ability to truly understand and manage your attack surface and know what you're exposing to the internet is a key problem that a lot of people are trying to solve. Mm. So at NetSpy, we have our own attack surface management solution that we've built and launched over the last year. Uh, it's getting a lot of traction. And our key differentiator is the fact that we we, ha- we are technology enabled, but we're delivered by people. Mm. So. Our clients get to interact with really strong technology and have real time access to their attack surface and potential exposures. Mm -hmm. And we have an operations team in the background that is analyzing all the data that our tooling and automation are providing, analyzing it and making sure that the data that our clients get are really low on false positive. Mm -hmm. So the signal to noise ratio is very good. Awesome. And our clients don't have to now waste time looking through results from automation and determine whether it's truly an issue or not. When they get information from us, they know it's an issue. We show them how it's an issue and then we
2: help them address it. I think a lot of cybersecurity solutions and practices are attack surface management because you're ultimately trying to reduce the blast radius of an attack or just reduce the opportunity for an attack. And it seems like now a lot of organizations have attack surface management capabilities. It's something that everyone is trying to advertise and you know gain attention for. But what would you say makes Netspy and like what you all do different than what everyone else is doing?
0: So there are a couple of different flavors of attack surface management mm-hmm. out there. There's the ability to look at information that is publicly available about an organization and make determination on the the risk threshold that that organization is taking Mm -hmm. so you can look to see what type of technology they're using that's exposed to the internet and say okay well they're clearly using a legacy programming language right that's more risky than using one of the modern programming languages Mm -hmm. because the modern programming languages may have more security controls built in that's Mm -hmm. just one example You don't have to do any testing to determine that. Those are things you can do based on public information that's regularly available at all times. Right. The second flavor, which is the flavor we've embarked on, is twofold. One is to give you an accurate and up-to-date inventory of all your assets that are internet facing. And assets are typically, you know, your IP addresses, mm-hmm. your domains, your SSL certificates, etc. Anything that it, that could inherently have an issue or a vulnerability is an asset. Mm-hmm. And if it's if it's internet facing, that's what we're looking at from an attack surface management perspective. And then what we're also doing secondarily is after giving you an accurate asset inventory, we're now looking for exposures. Mm -hmm. So exposures inherently may not be a vulnerability, but they're the things that are areas that you need to focus on. So you all of a sudden have a certain port that's open, that's an exposure that you probably should care about. Right. You have an older version of a software that is exposed to the internet that may have vulnerabilities or known issues, that's an exposure. And then, of course, a subcategory of those exposures are vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. You might actually have vulnerabilities that are Internet facing, and we can detect them and then notify you in real time or in near real time uh, because our team does have to analyze it and make sure that it's truly exploitable before we report it to you.
2: I need to jump in here for a second because our sponsor and friends at by wanted us to ask you, our listeners, a question. Are you constantly wondering what else is on your attack surface? NetSpy has created an attack surface management platform to help you make sense of it all. NetSpy has a team of skilled pen testers that can help you find those critical vulnerabilities and become your partner in creating the right remediation game plan for you. To learn more about NetSpy, visit netspy.com forward slash HVM and tell them Hacker Valley sent you. Thank you NetSpy for sponsoring this episode. Now let's get back to the conversation.
1: I always feel like you have to have those mandatory programs, like asset management to me is a mandatory program. You can't do IR, you can't do threat hunting, you can't do red teaming without really understanding what is in your infrastructure. How would you encourage people to start looking at attack surface management, even if their team is really small?
0: I love using analogies in this case, and yep. you just reminded me of something. So I consider attack surface management to be like your basic hygiene, mm-hmm. yep. you know? I woke up today, I brushed my teeth, I took a shower, mm-hmm. right? That's my basic hygiene. That's looking from the outside in, so when I go meet people, I'm presentable, mm-hmm. I'm okay, I'm not showing any vulnerabilities or exposures. Right. That being said, there are other things that could be wrong with me that I should be doing. I should be eating well, mm-hmm. I yeah. should be exercising, I should yeah. be doing other things. But from an attack surface management perspective, I think it's the basic hygiene mm-hmm. activity that you all need to be doing every single day. Right. So for a small company like a startup, I actually think it's more important to have an attack surface management solution because often startups are so hyper-focused on building functionality in their systems, whether right. it be software, hardware, they're hyper-focused on solving a problem. Yep. They don't have time to understand, learn, or even be security experts or know how to address security issues that they may be creating. And with the rapid pace in which software gets built today or technology gets built today and published to the world today, having a proper attack surface strategy, I think really helps make sure that you're not falling into a trap Mm -hmm. or you're not getting some unforeseen event happen to you because you missed maybe a simple configuration issue, right? Right? Or maybe you didn't think about a feature that you're building that inherently could also be exploited by an attacker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, a simple example I like to use from that perspective is uh, a login page. Right. You know, you would think of building a login page that takes a username and password or an email and password would be very simple to make. But people often forget if you don't rate limit those logins, mm-hmm. if you don't give the right type of error message when there is a missed login. Mm -hmm. You can often sit there and harvest valid email addresses of people through that process. And Mm -hmm. now you have a list of all the user bases. You can then do credential stuffing once you know what type of users are there and what emails are being used to log in and so on. So even a simple feature that often looks benign on the outside, if not implemented correctly, Mm -hmm. can have pretty major security uh, consequences. So that's why having an attack surface management solution is good, because you might make those mistakes and you get immediate feedback Mm -hmm. when that happens, when that goes out to the Internet, and then you can work on making sure you address it right
2: away. I want to talk about grit a little bit, because I think when you hear about attack surface management, you sometimes think like, all right, this sounds great. Let me let me go do it but I think teams need to have a lot of grit in order to do it the right way to really reduce those exposures and vulnerabilities. What is an example of paying the piper, right, of attack surface management? What are the things that teams have to do that they typically don't want to do in the context of ASM? The
0: ASM market has been interesting to watch evolve over the years. I think there's a bad taste that's left in in people's mouths from the technology-based solutions that are out there today that are technology only. So a lot of people are resistant to trying ASM solutions because they think, okay, great, I will get the solution, but now I also have to get a chauffeur that drives the solution for me. Right. (laughs) So I have to now hire one or two full-time employees that have security expertise that can Mm -hmm. interpret the data. They're going to get thousands of issues that they now have to track down and determine what's true or not. So the early to market were a lot of automation based ASM Mm -hmm. solutions that were there, which had the right intent and they had the right focus. But with technology, any type of technology you build from a security perspective that is scanning and looking for issues, there are gonna be false positives. And it's how you manage the false positive that becomes a challenge. So we've taken an approach where we've kind of shifted the focus and said, We'll give you our ASM solution, but we can guarantee you, you don't need to hire another person to do it because we have 300 plus pen testers in house who are security experts. We'll leverage them as part of our solution that's baked into the subscription. We'll use them and their expertise to validate the thousands and thousands of issues that the automation reports. You may only have to look at two mm-hmm. or you may only have to look at the one or two critical things that pop up. And we know they're true because we've vetted them yeah. and we've made sure that they're exploitable. And we've given you instructions mm. on on how to go and exploit it and see for yourself. Right. So you don't have to take our word for it. We have step by step instructions with screenshots or, you know, code or requests and responses coming from a web app and so on to show you that something is truly an issue.
1: I feel like attack surface management and that offensive side of cybersecurity really go hand in hand. Do you have a story where you had either a customer or someone you worked with that had a really solid handle on attack surface management, but they were just missing that one little piece that enabled either a red team or even maybe even an actual attacker to, to kind of bypass all those controls?
0: So I have a I don't know if it's a funny story. Yeah. But it's funny now in hindsight. Gotcha. It wasn't funny when we first had the conversation with our client. Yeah, we were doing this attack surface management proof of concept for a very large medical device company. Mm-hmm. We asked them, like we ask all our clients before we start, can you tell us how many assets do you have? How many IPs and domains do you have that are exposed to the Internet? So they came back and they gave us a number. Yep. The number was somewhere around like under 4000 is what they said. We have under 4000 external facing assets. We're like, great, let's start and let's do the assessment. Mm-hmm. We get in there and just do the discovery. We haven't even started testing for vulnerabilities and exposures. We just do the discovery within the first four or five hours of starting the subscription. And we find that they have over 80,000 IPs and domains. And when we called them up, I, I called them right away and I said, hey, something's wrong. Yeah. Either we messed <laughs> up, or you gave us the wrong number, right? Mm-hmm. And we we go on Zoom, screen share, show them what we found, and they go, that's interesting. I really need to go figure out where all of those came from. <laughs> yes, they're ours. Yeah. But when I asked our IT department, they had no idea about all of Ooh, those existing. Everything's
2: uh, public. <laughs> everything is public, right? And
0: and we scraped this from public information. <laughs> we didn't even have to scan. It's just public ASN data yeah. that we looked at and found all these assets. So that was interesting. But Mm -hmm. then what was more interesting was after we started scanning for vulnerabilities because their asset inventory was stagnant and Mm -hmm. outdated and they didn't have the capability to keep up with their inventory. We actually found a remote code execution vulnerability Mm -hmm. that was exploitable from the internet. Not only that, once we got in we actually saw files that APTs were putting on the server no. and getting ready to execute. Get mm. out of here. We actually had like the HTML file that the attackers, once they ran their script, that would say you've been owned by mm-hmm. and the, the, the APT's name that yes. was taking credit for it. We found that and some reverse shell evidence that they've been running scans to do a reverse shell. We found it and immediately their whole SOC team went and shut that down and they just like were all hands on deck and, and we were on the phone with them till late at night. I was traveling. I remember I, I landed at 5 p.m. Um, and then I was with them on the phone till 10 p.m. Wow. Going through how we found it. Where did we find it? Right. Why did we not find it before? And we had to explain to them, before when we tested you, you gave us the target. Right. This time you didn't give us the target. We went and discovered the target, and mm. which was much bigger, allowed us to go find something. So this was something that was missed. This would have easily been, an, been a big incident for this medical device company that would have probably been attacked by ransomware. Mm-hmm. And we caught it just in time to protect
2: that from happening. Wow. Yeah, That is insane. One of the things I think is unique about NetSpy and your team is that you guys have red teamers. And you also have defenders, and a lot of uh, vendors you just see with very one-sided, myopic lens. Like they, they're very good at threat intelligence. They're very good at EDR. But you guys have like this multi-discipline that you can use to build a better product and more, multiple products as well. What would you say is the piece that is most helpful from having so much red team experience to help build something like ASM capabilities?
0: Yeah, so we consider ourselves to be one of the most comprehensive offensive security providers out there. And having that visibility and view from a red teaming perspective to know how attackers truly go and exploit issues allows us to now build more capabilities to go detect when an attacker has the ability to go and execute those issues. Mm-hmm. So. We actually recently started releasing another offering called breach and attack simulation, which Mm -hmm. is meant to complement our attack surface management offering. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you think of attack surface management as coming from the outside in to figure out how you can breach somebody, Mm -hmm. think of breach and attack simulation as knowing about the internals and controls you have that are protecting you. And you're trying to figure out how hard do I really have to hit the hammer? to break through the protections that this organization believes they have. Right. Mm-hmm. So this is a more collaborative engagement. We work with the organizations to understand what type of firewalls they have bought, what type of uh, intrusion detection systems have they purchased, what are the types of attacks they're expecting to catch mm-hmm. or block or be notified on. And then we come in and we keep increasing the intensity of the attacks until mm-hmm. either we bypass them or until they say, hey, we had no idea you did this. How did you do it? And we show them evidence that we've managed to do something. Right. The crazy, scary thing is when we do these assessments, our red teams and a lot of our red team leads are the ones who help with the breach and attack simulation work. Right. We often realize that organizations buy a lot of technology to try and protect themselves, but most of the time they don't configure it correctly. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. And in many cases, we've seen, as sad as it sounds, where organizations bought the product but turned off all the rules because the product was slowing them down Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. or product
0: was having some weird side effect. So the person who who configured it, they went and turned it off and no one bothered to check (laughs) if that had been turned back on again or if it's been fixed again or anything like that. So that leaves you exposed and open. So that's where both the sides come in. The breach and attack simulation can test the Mm -hmm. effectiveness of the controls you have and ASM can constantly monitor whether there are gaps in how things are configured or what's being exposed.
2: That's what it's all about, is getting to the root. And when you look at any hero's journey, you always return home. Like, and I feel like that's, what, that's where we're at in security now with attack surface management, breach and attack simulation is this constant cycle of discovery, uh, inventory, and then validating all of those controls. What would be that one piece of advice that you would share with anyone that's going to take that journey that hasn't really started yet? How would you recommend them to get started on it? My
0: favorite saying is keep your basics in line. Mm -hmm. Follow the basics. Everything we're seeing, it's just a renaming or a new flavor (laughs) of something we've always known how to do. It just looks and feels a little different, but the basics are still the same. Mm. Just like going back to that hygiene example, right? You could be eating healthy, but if you're not showering every day, that's a problem. <laughs> all right, right? All right? So follow the basics, do the things you're doing, be proactive about it, understand that there is isn't a one size fits all solution for everything. But ultimately, if you're making conscious decisions that meet your business objectives, you should be OK, mm-hmm. but
1: you cannot forget the basics. 100 no. percent. Nabil, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to hop on the mics with us. If anybody is curious about Nabil, NetSpy, even this podcast, Agents of Influence, be sure to drop down into the show notes wherever you are watching or listening to this. And with that, we will see everyone next time.